Hello and welcome to Sean with two N's. I'm your host Sean, of course, with two N's, and welcome to the show where I get to absolutely nerd out and you hopefully get to learn something. To me that sounds like a pretty good deal, but maybe you don't really care about learning like I do because admittedly I am 100% a total sponge when it comes to knowledge like I want as much knowledge as possible because I love it. I love it so much. Well, who cares? That's besides the point because this week I will share to you anything and everything that I know about investing. In all honesty, I've only pretty recently gotten into investing, so I'm not really the most qualified to talk about this topic out in the open like this, but like I've understood enough, I feel, to put my two cents in. Again, it's my show, so anyways, at the end, I'll give a step-by-step on how I invest, so if you stick around, you can judge my investment method and judge it all you want because I won't change it because I don't care. Now, I know this year being the awful year it has been, being 2020, it's been quite rough on many people in terms of employment and their financial situations. But this year, I was fortunate enough to not only get my first co-op placement to start in January, but I was also able to keep working throughout the pandemic without having any time off in that same placement. So this year was the first year I felt like I had the actual funds to invest. I soon came to learn that you don't really need a minimum amount or whatever to start investing. And honestly, starting as soon as you can is the best idea. Anyway, like I said, I decided that this year was the year I should start investing. So naturally, being the total nerd that I am, I got to reading. (laughs) I read, and I read, and I read all these finance books talking about growing your wealth. I read Millionaire Teacher by Andrew Hallam, The Value of Simple by John Robertson, and The Wealthy Barber Returns by David Chilton. Then... After reading all that, being the nerd that I am again, and thirsting for even more knowledge, this time not only on just growing wealth and getting rich, but financing and the financial industry as a whole. So yeah, I continued reading and I'm continuing to read. I read Thomas Stanley and William Danko's The Millionaire Next Door, as well as Common Sense and Mutual Funds by John C. Bogle. Currently, I'm reading Devil Take the Hindmost by Edward Chancellor to deepen my knowledge even more. I know, I know, it may seem like overkill at this point, but like, I'm not really the type of person to be satisfied with knowing that something works. I want to know why and how it works so I can justify just following instead of following blindly. Instead of having to go through everything that I went through and reading everything that I read to learn all this useful junk, I'm gonna so generously share my knowledge with you so you don't have to, but of course, if you want to, feel free. You are welcome. Now, before we get to anything, um, allow me to go off on a bit of a ramble or a tangent here. It's not about investing or anything, but it's like indirectly related. So let me have this moment, all right? Okay. I hope it's just me that feels this way, but the school system did not teach me anything when it came to finances and investing. But the sad thing is, I don't feel like I'm alone in this feeling. 
and I mean, it doesn't make sense to me because out of everything they teach you in school, like, don't they, shouldn't they teach you how to handle your money and how to grow your money so that you can retire and you don't have to work until you're dead? <laughs> like, I know I love math and all, but no one realistically, no one uses the Pythagorean theorem the moment they step out of high school. <laughs> And the only financial advice that I ever got from school was to open a TFSA when you turn 18. This is great and all, but it's not enough. Like, I didn't learn that TFSAs don't have to be just a savings account until I was turning 20 this year. I graduated from high school two years ago. I learned more from reading on online threads and the books that those threads suggested than I did from school about any of this stuff. And honestly, that's just so sad to me. Now, before you can start putting money away into your investment account, there are a few things that you need to do that I feel like I should cover first. First and foremost, of course, you need to budget your expenses so that you actually have money to invest. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're the world's smartest or luckiest investor. If you can't save the money that you need to invest, you can't make anything. Sadly, this is harder than it sounds because we live in this super consumer-friendly world where everywhere you look, you are encouraged to blow off all of your hard-earned money. Like, retailers literally advertise in such a way to hit the funny parts in your brain to make you want to spend your cash. Whether it's the bright colors of their signs saying what you can get from that store or the items that always seem to be on sale, the world wants you to blow your money. Like, I'm no exception to this. I keep up with sneakers and tech, so whenever new stuff comes out from those fields, like, I want to consume. But I have to be better than that, and we have to be better than that. We need to hold off on extra unnecessary spending first, because if you budget properly, you'll see exactly where all your money goes, and maybe, maybe, Seeing where your money goes, you'll have a change in your lifestyle so that instead of paying for the new or for the for sale hot item, you'll pay for what's probably more important, your future self. Of course, you should pay for your expenses so you can actually survive to live to see your future self, but that's common sense. After you've budgeted your expenses and hopefully have a lifestyle evaluation to see what is essential, you need to make sure you have an emergency fund. If 2020 taught you anything, it's that this emergency fund is vital for you. From what I've read, somewhere between like two to three months of essential expenses should be able to be covered by your emergency fund. I personally keep my emergency fund in a savings account. Like, honestly, just keep it somewhere where the money is liquid and very easily accessible. It's important to have this because when things turn to hell and life is flipped on your head and the floor is taken out from under you and you lose your job, you need to be able to support yourself with what you've earned so that you can survive and look for your next job. Lastly, after your emergency fund is filled enough to keep your jellies happy, you can start saving for large required purchases you see yourself having. Whether this be a car you see yourself buying in the future or paying for tuition, you should really save up for that before you can start investing. After those three things, oh my gosh, I can finally get to talk about the point of the episode, which is investing. I'm sorry it took a bit to get here, but everything I said before, I feel like it's pretty important. And it seems like common sense, but when you deal with this kind of stuff, I feel like 
stating the obvious doesn't hurt anybody, right? Now, the biggest tip I can give you in terms of investing is to start as soon as you can. I know I already said this earlier, but I literally cannot stress this enough. Compound interest is your friend. If you took pre-cal 11, this should be the one unit that you took away, and it's that compound interest is your friend. Look, I did all of these calculations in Excel, so please let me spit out these fun numbers for you. And honestly, this was the most fun I had in the prep for this week's episode. So if you started investing around my age, like let's say 20, right? And you put away around $6,000 a year and you do this for 20 years, then after those 20 years, you decided to stop putting away the 6,000 a year and you just let your investments grow in wherever you keep it. Assuming you had an average annual increase of 7% at the end of the 20 years of where you don't touch your money, so 40 years total, so you're 60 now, you would have put away $120,000 towards your investment, and your investment would have grown to be around $1 million. $1 million. Now, if you delay investing for 10 years, a measly 10 years to start when you're 30, to end up with the same 1 million at the same rate of annual increase, you need to put away $10,000 a year for all 30 years. So you end up putting away $300,000 and you spend more time in your life putting away money for investments, which honestly isn't really that fun. Like, I'd rather spend my money on traveling at that point in my life. <laughs> Another big tip I have for you is to maximize the tax shelters that the government provides you with. Like, I know I blasted the school system for this and I was really calling out Planning 10 because I felt like that class was useless, but they did tell you to open up your TFSA as soon as possible. And I recommend maxing out the TFSA first because growing your money tax-free is literally so great. Like, you get to keep all the money that your investments make and... Um, you don't need to do any paperwork. So that's a win-win in my eyes. Now, before I go any further, I just want to confirm right here and right now that I'm not here to talk to you about investing like I'm some sort of stock trading guru and how to get rich real quick through the stock market. Like, I'm not Warren Buffett. I'm not making another Berkshire Hathaway, blah, blah, blah. I can only really talk about how you should invest in the long term. Because if you invest relatively safely in the market, your investments should grow. Of course, you can't guarantee this, and that's the risk you take with investments, but over the long term, your investments should grow. I repeat, over the long term, not the short term. You ignore any swings between one year, two year, three year, maybe even five years. Just ignore that. Over the long term, your investments should grow. Basically, what I recommend is looking for low-cost passive index funds and sticking with them in the long term. When you invest in low-cost index funds, you invest in a large number of companies. This diversifies your investment portfolio so much so that it basically guarantees that you perform exactly how the market performs. Let me tell you why this is great. First, and I feel like most importantly, it's so simple. Like, it's stupidly simple. You don't really need to know much about how stocks work and how they fluctuate from day to day, month to month, year to year. You only really need to know and remember, again, that over a long period of time, like, 
let's say 25 years, the stock market grows annually around 5 to 7%. So since the index fund allows you to perform exactly how the market performs, if you take the low end of that modest 5 to 7% range I just gave, that's basically taking your initial investment and slapping it with a nice times 3.5 button. And the best thing about all this is that the fees for index funds can be so low if you find the right one. I'm talking like 0.2% dumb low. <laughs> Compare this to the 2.5% or more that your average mutual fund charges you in fees and you honestly save so much. I mean, guys, I love numbers. You guys know this. I'm, in, I'm a math major, physics major, so I love using them to prove a point. So sorry, but like, let's say that your mutual fund charges you like 2.5%. Over 25 years, this will end up eating up around 45% of your returns, while an index fund with a 0.22% fee only ends up eating around like 4%. The fees are really where mutual funds aren't really worth it, in my opinion. Like, of course, investing in them and making money from them is better than just having your money sit somewhere and deprecate over time due to inflation, but like, why would you settle for something that's less than what you can get? I mean, sure, mutual funds are advertised so that they perform better than the market average, but like, it can't be possible that every single mutual fund performs better than the average. Because that's the thing with having an average. There are going to be people who perform below average and people who perform above average. How the hell are you supposed to know which mutual fund is going to perform better than average? Hell, even if your fund does perform better than average, it has to perform so much better than the average just to outperform the low-cost index fund because of the fees. Since the average mutual fund fees are around like I said, 2.5%, your mutual fund needs to perform almost 3% higher than the market average just to be on pace with your low-cost index fund. I mean, if you find one of the few mutual funds that do it, kudos to you, but for I feel like the first time in my life, I'm okay with being dead average in this area. Now, I'm going to explain how I invest. So if you want to follow in my lovely footsteps here, listen carefully. I can only really suggest you follow me, however, if we have the same, have similar situations. Similar situations being like same age and save investment goals. My goals being, um, I want my investments to be my retirement money, so I'm not really going to touch anything that I've been putting away. Yeah. Oh, and my the step-by-step -step that I'm about to say only really works in Canada because I don't know how to invest anywhere else. But everything I've said up to this point is a good general tip in my opinion, and should work for everyone anywhere. Okay, so step one is to open an account with an online brokerage. Um, the two I hear about most are Questrade and Wealthsimple. I personally opened one up with Wealthsimple, but I don't really see too big of a difference between the two. Of course, if you want to be picky, there are differences. Like, for example, Wealthsimple has no commission fees, while Questrade, I believe, has like $5 to $10 commission fees on every stock trade. If you're wondering how Wealthsimple makes money, um, they make their money from a 1.5% currency conversion fee charged on conversions between the Canadian and US dollar that are required to trade US listed securities. So that's how they make money. Um, honestly, with all these differences, they don't really make too big of a deal with what I'm about to say, in my opinion, but a 
good rule of thumb from what I've learned is if you plan on trading U.S. stocks in the future or if you're going to trade U.S. stocks now, just open a Quest Trade account and just forget about Wealth Simple as a whole. Now, you want to choose what kind of account you want open with your investment account. Again, I suggest opening up and maxing out your TFSA before doing anything else. Next, you connect your bank to your investment account so that you can fund it. I personally have been funding it every paycheck this year because like I said, I want to pay future Sean first before I pay anyone else. <laughs> Once your account is funded, all you need to do is search for the ticker VGRO, VGRO, then buy however many you want. Hell, my entire portfolio is currently all VGRO. Yep, that's it. It's really that easy. While it is tempting to just leave you with that, I feel like this episode would be incomplete and so unsatisfying if I didn't at least try to explain what this VGRO thing I tell you to buy. VGRO is this growth portfolio offered by a company called Vanguard. There's this investment strategy called the couch potato method. I love the name, by the way. Basically, it's a strategy where you keep a specific asset allocation of stocks and bonds, something like 80% stocks and 20% bonds that matches your goals and risk tolerance. Because the higher the bond percentage, the lower the risk your um, investment strategy contains. After you decide on a ratio that you like, you invest in low-cost index funds depending on your ratio and then rebalance whenever the market swings so much so that your the ratio that your portfolio has is off from your original target. So for example, if there was a big stock market boom, um, you'd have your 80% stocks would be more like 90%, which means you would need to buy more bonds to balance it back up to an 80 and 20 split like you initially started. Except... You don't need to do that. If you buy VGRO, you can literally like forget everything I just said because that's not important anymore. Because VGRO does all of that for you and you don't have to do a single thing that I said and you don't have to know a single thing that I just said. Hell, VGRO holds over 12,000 different stocks and bonds from around the world. I mean, talk about diversifying your portfolio, right? And you get to do this with one ETF. So you don't really need to buy any more, right? This has to be a joke. It can't be this easy, but it is. And the best part, it does all this with only a 0.25% MER. Compare this to that 2.5% and higher you get from mutual funds and you save so much money from fees. They literally do everything for you. They do your rebalancing of your allocation of stocks and bonds, and they stay consistent through big swings in the market. So you, the human, can't mess up your portfolio by tinkering around. Yeah, we are people. We are extremely reactionary. We suck. <laughs> so removing you from the equation removes so much off of the table of the things that could go wrong. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you for sticking through and I hope you enjoyed listening. If you really, really enjoyed it, or if you know anyone else who might enjoy listening to me ramble on and nerding out for 10 to 20 minutes every Saturday, please feel free to share this podcast. I mean, I've been really enjoying doing this so far and it's been giving me an, an excuse to either deepen my understanding on something that I already know or learning something completely new so that I'm qualified to nerd out for a certain amount of time. So I won't be shy to any new listeners, I promise. 
I'll be back next Saturday with a whole new topic because I am honestly all over the place. This was Sean with two N's and I'm signing out. Bye!